Hello everyone. We're peacefully prudent with our first podcast session. We're excited to be hosting with today's special guest, Maheen Rizvi Ahmed. Maheen is a senior lecturer in the Law and Politics Department at Middlesex University, Dubai. She has a wide range of research interests from gender to global governance and sustainable development. She's also a member of the Institute of Sustainable Development. This brings us to our first question. What makes you interested in sustainable development? Okay, so my interest, I think, in sustainable development started off when I was at university where there were some earlier conversations about economic growth and how, you know, we were having an impact in terms of climate. Um, but really, I kind of got into it in the time of the Millennium Development Goals in 2000, um, where there was a kind of global awareness of the fact that there is a, there are limits to growth. And I think that concept has really stood out for me. And of course, over the years, seeing how the Millennium Development Goals were replaced by the Sustainable Development Goals and recognizing that we're already experiencing climate change, we're already experiencing, uh, you know, um, I would say in certain parts of the world, degrowth, um, that I would feel that today, if we don't sort of focus on recognizing the limits to growth and recognizing how unsustainable our practices are in terms of economic growth, but also in terms of consumption, we are headed, and I don't want to be a doom and gloom person, but we're headed towards a lot of political, social, economic issues. Um, and of course, coming from the developing world where we've seen the impact of climate change, rising poverty, um, not having benefited as much from globalization, for example, I think there's a need to rethink the way we're growing. And so I totally recognize the value of economic growth, but it has to be fairer and more equitable. And that's where my interest in sustainable development uh, has come through. Um, thank you so much. That was really well articulated. Um, so moving on to the next question, uh, can you provide a brief overview of SDG 16 for those who are unfamiliar with the subject? Okay, so if you look at SDG 16, um, it focuses on promoting peaceful and inclusive societies for sustainable development, um, providing justice for all, um, and having effective, accountable and inclusive institutions at all levels. So I think for me personally, I think this is a very, very important goal because it ties together what I feel are key issues in terms of sustainable development, and that is peace and justice. Um, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years that a lot of progress that has been made um, has actually been halted or in certain cases regressed as a result of war and conflict. We're seeing rising levels of um, poverty um, um, across the globe, not just in developing countries, but also in developed countries as well. Um, and some of the issues today we face is lack of inclusivity, uh, racism, violence against women, um, you know, disappearance of journalists and freedom and, and, and advocates for freedom. And so I feel in a sense that the world is becoming more intolerant um, and more harsh, um, especially with the rise of right-wing media and often populist governments across the globe. So I think if, more than ever before, there has to be a focus on SDG 16, but yet at the same time, I realize how problematic that can be because a lot of it is about accountability by state and non-state actors, and therefore, you know, measuring progress or getting states or non-state actors to take responsibility, I think, um, is one of the concerns about SDG 16. I don't think that it's about the goal itself that's problematic. I think it's about how can you achieve this goal or more importantly, how can you hold 
institutions accountable um, is where my concern is. Okay, so this is kind of a border, um, long-winded question bordering on what you just mentioned. Okay. SDG 16 has its fair share of criticism. Some say it's ambiguous due to a lack of specific targets, while others maintain that it's a political goal that can run against some of the aims of development aids, among various other claims. In your view, how effective have the SDG measures been and how do you think they can improve in the future? Okay, so I was kind of looking at the targets and indicators earlier because I just wanted to. I think the targets are actually quite clear. You know, so for example, if you're looking at things like forms of violence, you're looking at things like exploitation, um, specifically, but in terms of children, you're looking at, for example, ensuring justice and equity for all, looking at issues around financial and arm flows, bribery, corruption, transparency and accountability. These are some of the key issues that we really um, have to focus on. Um, so, I mean, I'll step back a little bit and I'll say that the SDGs are a lot more clearer um, and explicit in terms of targets and indicators than their predecessors, the Millennium Development Goals. But also remember that in order for countries to sign on to these goals, um, you, needed to, you needed their buy-in, right? So if countries didn't sign on to the SDGs, uh, you know, there would be no sense of accountability towards these countries for not meeting these goals. So I think keeping these goals um, and their targets and indicators, I, I don't say vague, but a little more open-ended was a way of ensuring that this, uh, go, this, this particular goal would actually be agreed to. Because otherwise, if it had been more explicit, I think that most countries would have said absolutely not to them. Um, at, the, at the same time, I really believe that there we can hold governments accountable and there are a lot of non-state actors whether it's amnesty international or human rights watch or women for peace that are tracking these issues in terms of you know whether it is human rights abuses or whether it is violence against women or whether it is government it is um, you know lack of transparency and corruption um the point that i guess the information is there Yes, I do agree that sort of holding governments accountable in terms of issues around violence and corruption and lack of transparency is hard. And again, you know, when we look at the international community, there is no authority. We've talked about this in IR above states to enforce this. So at the end of the day, it's about states recognizing the value um, of the SDGs and particularly Gold 16. Um, and I think there has been progress. Um, unfortunately, the last couple of years, we've seen setbacks in different parts of the world in terms of human rights abuses, in terms of um, a control on women's rights, for example, whether it's in the US or it's in, um, in, in other countries across the globe. And I think that is problematic, but that is a much wider conversation in terms of a backlash against globalization and more inward populist governments coming into power across the globe. So for me personally, I don't see it. I don't see the goals being weak. I don't see SDG 16 being weak. I think that the issue is in terms of governments and how they've taken advantage of, in a sense, uh, you know, not being held responsible for them. And I think it's the international community then. Um, citizens, I mean, I truly believe that ordinary citizens have a very powerful voice where they have to hold their governments accountable in certain parts of the world, they are doing so. Right. Right, that was a very long answer. I don't know if I answered your question. No, that was uh, very uh, but a great segue to the next question oh, as okay. well. Okay, all right. Um, because you mentioned, like, you know, you should hold governments accountable as well, and that's like it 
plays into the bigger picture of why the SDG is there in the first place. So um, the next question is what according to you is the importance of peace building at the local level? I think I, I really believe in a kind of bottom up approach and I really believe that there's a lot of you know change that can be made at a community level. Um, and especially, I really do believe that you know, young people, community activists, um, you know, starting off from literally in terms of keeping your, your you know, the area where you live safe, you know, um, it can help. But I think a lot of it has to come from, you know, um, education, sort of uh, people recognizing the value they have to play as citizens. And I feel today that across the globe, a lot of people have kind of forgotten the, the importance of citizenship. Um, and giving back to the community or recognizing that with rights, we talked about this again in class, comes a whole set of responsibilities. I think that we become so individualistic um, that we focus more on ourselves, that we don't see the fact that we are part of a much wider community. And if that community um, is unsafe, unjust, um, unfair, eventually all of us will suffer as a result of that. So I really believe that your know, change can come from a grassroots level. And if you look at a lot of community activists across the globe, whether in rural communities or urban communities, a lot of the change that happens starts within the community level where you're aware of what the needs are, what the wants are. Um, how to scale it up is where I think there is a problem. Um, and, there, and then that, again, I think you then need to hold other players responsible, um, including the private sector. I think the private sector... Um, does have a very important role to play and so for example if you look at the SDGs a lot of them talk about public private partnership but they also talk about community building they also talk about sustainable cities and all of that is about making both civil society but the private sector also responsible for delivering the SDGs um, and I think that's where for example we need to be focusing so both at a community level but also in terms of the private sector and their responsibility. And you've seen that, for example, where this whole kind of movement towards ESG, sustainable finance, um, sustainable um, companies being more aware of their responsibility as social actors. I think a lot of change can come there. And I'm quite positive about that. Thank you so much for that comprehensive answer. Um, how do you think that ESG, uh, ESG sort of politics in that way plays into the field of justice? ESG policies, I mean. Yes, okay, yeah. fine. So I think that when you are sort of, you know, when we think about, for example, uh, a lot of the concerns in terms of climate change, in terms of um, the global supply change, in terms of labor rights, you know, in terms of working conditions, a lot of that, you know, multinational corporations are responsible for that. They are the key players, right? So when you sort of go beyond a CSR to an ESG kind of policy, then multinational corporations are held responsible for their impact, not just on the environment, but in terms of society and governance as well. So whether it's about monitoring their supply chain to ensure that, you know, the working conditions, the type of labor, for example, um, is being paid well, is free, is fair, you know, is, is, is you're providing them right, correct wages, good working conditions, in terms of the impact on the environment, I think all of that links into issues around climate justice, links into issues around human rights, uh, and and also and so there you know you have uh, um, a sense of 
companies not just being morally responsible, but also recognizing the economic benefit that they can have if they become leaders in this area. Uh, you're seeing, for example, even in the UAE, a lot of sustainable finance being provided to companies that are embarking on ESG. So just very recently, uh, Majid Al-Fatem, which is the largest, one of the largest um, you know, private groups in the UAE, they got a loan of, I think, $1.25 billion. It was the first um, green sustainable loan that was given. And they're going to focus on things like reducing their carbon footprint, uh, you know, making their malls um, and their businesses a lot more environmentally friendly, but also in terms of inclusivity and diversity, in terms of gender rights. So they promised that 30% of women on their board and their higher management will be women. And all of these are tied to KPIs that are part of their ESG framework. So I think this is how you start making change. And this will then kind of filter down to other smaller companies, but will also make, I think, civil society individuals like yourself a lot more aware of the value of this. Because remember, at the end of the day, no one does it for the love of the world or the planet. Yeah. They do it if it makes economic sense. And I think if you push that narrative and you make it part of the mainstream, then I think there's a much better chance of achieving sustainable development, especially for the private sector. They're not going to do it just for the love of the environment. Mm -hmm. While you mentioned that uh, corporate strategies might play a big role in achieving sustainable development, you earlier mentioned that uh, communities also have a big role to play in this area. So um, that brings us to our last question. Um, so the entire blog is geared on towards like how the youth is very important in this whole conversation around the SDG. So um, as a senior lecturer in law and politics who works in close proximity with like the younger generation, in your view, what significance does youth participation and engagement hold in terms of achieving the SDG goals? I think it's all up to you guys, because I th I'll tell you one thing, you know, especially if you look at this region, um, it has a huge young population, both in terms of, let's say, uh, you know, the, the, the national, let's say for example, UAE nationals, but also the expat population. It's it's a lot of young people. But globally, for example, I think the population today is more informed, more engaged as a result of social media and a lot more aware of these social issues from a much younger age. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think young people can play a very important role in terms of advocates for justice, but also in terms of consumer power. You know, in terms of the choices you make, in terms of what you buy, what you eat, what you consume. consume. Um, and I think a lot of young people are aware of that power. Um, and they're using, for example, social media in a, you know, I hate the term influencer, but I really do think that those young people who see the power of social media in terms of highlighting social issues, in terms of highlighting environmental concerns, in terms of highlighting you know, women's rights issues or human rights abuses or labor or migrant rights, whatever it might be, I think you have a really powerful tool that can be used positively. I think you're also very informed and are moving towards new professions that are geared around the SDGs. Um, for some of you know, those of you who are you know, looking in the legal field, for example, that's where the real change can come through in, ter in terms of changing the law as well. So I think that, you know, I have a lot of hope in young people. I think that some people are quite negative about young people. They see them as being not really interested in politics, but I think they are. And I think the fact that they're just taking in a different way. So, for example, if you think about TikTok, you know, you think about it like as an as a, as a entertainment tool, but TikTok has been used in politics to raise awareness in terms of voting in the US, for example. Um, it has been used by young you know, people to talk about climate change, for example. 
And I think you have all these tools and you're using them in really creative, imaginative ways to make create awareness. I think the first step is awareness. And once you have awareness, you'll find that a lot of people are willing to become advocates. And then finally, I feel as consumers, you have a lot of power, which has not really been harnessed. So I think in that way, from between advocacy and consumption, you can hopefully be um, the leaders for change. And as Greta Thunberg said, you know, we've created my generation and before it's created the problems, um, but your generation is going to, is really feeling the impact of all of these issues from climate change to social injustice. And I think that puts a lot of responsibility on young people. But for problems they haven't created, but you know, that's just the way it is. But I have hope. I'm very optimistic. <laughs> and the fact that you guys are doing this is, is one example of advocacy and change. So good job. Thank you so much for yes. that. Honestly, super uplifting to hear that. Yes, but that's this, a great way to end yeah, uh, this uh, podcast as well. Yeah. Honestly, it was really nice hearing from you, Muhim. It was really comprehensive and Insightful. we hope that the viewers and listeners find a message within your words. And Thank you. Thank you. I always try to be optimistic because I still have hope. <laughs> <laughs>